In this episode, learn about me stalking guests online. Why are people's refrigerators attacking CNN? And did you know that you can actually rent hackers? gas has always challenged technology. Now it's time for tech to challenge back. Come hear how the best minds in the industry are making those solutions a reality on the Oil & Gas Technology Podcast with your host, Mark LaCour. Hey folks, it's Mark LaCour. We're sitting here with the Oil & Gas Technology Podcast. We're in the canyon where it's about 65 degrees, which is a, a tremendous freeze zone for Houston, Texas. And I'm sitting here with Brian. Brian, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Mark. Thanks for having me out here. Thanks for coming out here. And Brian, I actually stalked you online, didn't I? You did. You did. I'm like, who's this smart guy that keeps on hitting me up on LinkedIn? And finally, I go, I better respond to him. Keeps on blowing up my messages. Yeah. And so usually it's the opposite. Usually people stalk, stalk me. But the reason I stalk Brian is he's involved in cybersecurity in, in a degree that is just incredible. And if you're listening to this, you know what cybersecurity is. But Brian, so many people don't realize that cybersecurity touches almost everything we do. You know, ab- absolutely. You know, if you go to the bank, if you go to the hospital, you go to school, you go to the grocery store, drive down the road, every one of those things has a cybersecurity impact because security has become fundamental to supporting our way of life today. Yeah. And so we have so much technology that is ingrained in our life. But what a lot of people don't realize is as we increase the amount of technology that we use in our daily lives, we're also increasing the points of entry for the bad guys. You know, absolutely. Just, uh, you know, let, let's get outside of oil and gas and industry and just think about our home, for example. You know, it wasn't that long ago where, wow, you've got uh, broadband, you've got high-speed internet in your house. Fast forward a decade, pretty much everything's connected now. Your TV, your refrigerator, your toaster, you've got, you know, 25 different mobile devices, et cetera. Well, now you turn that to industry. And everything that's old is new again because it's all connected. In the oil and gas case, it's hyper-connected. Yeah. And so one of the things that's, that was interesting, you, you touched on our homes, is that just, I don't know, maybe a year ago, they had a huge denial of service attack. And most of that uh, traffic was coming from smart appliances running unpatched Windows XP. Who would have ever thought that your refrigerator is trying to shut down CNN? That's right. That's right. What's my refrigerator thinking, right? You know, and, and it's funny, especially, you know, in, you know, you think about oil and gas and you think about a lot of folks in critical infrastructure. I've seen a lot of today, a lot of Windows NT 4.0, which has been, God, end of life for what, a decade, a decade, or, a decade yeah. or more, right? Which means you can't patch it, which, but the problem is, as you know, in this space, you can't take this black box that's uh, running Windows NT 4.0. And it's really controlling a couple things, some set points, maybe heat, pressure, things like that. So it does its job. It does it really well. But the owner of it can't make a modification because it breaks the warranty with the vendor. So if they want to patch it or put a local firewall or antivirus, like, oh, you can do it, but then we're not going to support it. So then they don't do it. And they're running this horribly, insanely unpatched system that if you just ping, for example, it could fall over and die. So some crazy situations, not because we want it to be that way, but it's the kind of the world we live in in terms of the legal system and the way things are deployed. Yeah. And when you look at the oil and gas industry, so in the last, say, five or six years, we've kind of been through this technology renaissance where we're now realizing that a lot of the data that we generate is valuable, both 
as the data itself and also as far as running the business. So now we're collecting that data. That data is in different silos that are disparaged. We're collecting it in different ways. Everything is sensorized because it's gotten really cheap. And the cloud is very pervasive in oil and gas, which, I, which is awesome in some ways. But when you, like you said, when you have all that going on where you have so many different types of process controls, you have so many different types of hardware and software, quite honestly, somebody's IT department really can't stay on top of all of that because it's so disparaged. But your company actually is one of the companies that actually go out and help oil and gas companies figure out where their risks are. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Veriden is a very unique company and doing a very unique thing. We call it security instrumentation. We're a security instrumentation platform or SIP. What this means is we're going into these organizations like oil and gas and helping them determine what's what's your level of security effectiveness in terms of the security controls that you have in place protecting your critical assets, protecting that PLC, protecting that sensitive data, et cetera. So for example, the old model was we're going to have some people come in and build a test bed and do some pen testing or some vulnerability scanning, not on the production network, but we're going to have them kind of evaluate where we are. The problem is in oil and gas and everybody else, there's been a lack of focus on the actual security controls that are designed to protect your devices, whether it's unidirectional diodes to make sure there's only one-way traffic between the IT, IT and the OT world, specialized ruggedized firewalls that are sitting out in some remote site covered with cobwebs and black widows somewhere in a hut. And these are the devices protecting the critical assets. So what we said is, wouldn't it be great if oil and gas companies and others could validate if their security controls not their, not their endpoints, not their servers or databases or PLCs, but the actual security controls protecting those are actually working. And it seems like such a simple thing. Hey, I'd like to make sure the lock on my door is working, but there hasn't been a focus of, on that in the industry. And what we found out is they were like, wow, this is awesome because now I can validate the effectiveness of my security controls. Are they preventing? Are they detecting? Are they alerting? without having any impact on the A word, availability, which is what oil and gas is all about. Yeah, so you actually brought up a really good point. So I know a lot of very large oil and gas companies that have never truly tested their disaster recovery, right? Their failover, right? So if they haven't, if, you, if you're listening and your company has not fully tested the disaster recovery, do you think you fully tested your security? I know at the IT level, at the server level, behind the firewall, yes, it has. But what you're talking about, Brian, is all the stuff in the field that's feeding all that data back to that firewall. Like you talked about ruggedized firewall. I didn't even know that existed. I didn't know that was such a thing. Yeah. Yeah. They're great. I mean, they look rugged. They're designed, they're designed to be rained on and stepped on and everything else. But, but here's the thing. Oil and gas invests millions and millions of dollars into cybersecurity controls. And it's not just oil and gas, but pretty much globally in every organization, they manage security based on assumptions. We assume the product we bought is doing what we hope it does. And we assume that a year from now, it's going to continue to work as well as it did today. And the people and processes and everything around it are there. But we have no way to validate. We have no way to check. Well, executives are now getting getting wind of this. And they're saying, you know what, guys? It's not enough to say we've got that firewall or that intrusion detection system or that SIM collecting data. We need to be able to prove that we're actually getting value. And the reason this is happening, because it's not really about cyber risk at all. It's about the business, and it's about the financial, operational, and brand risk from cyber. And that fundamentally changes our perspective, because now you're focusing on how do I bring value to the business? How do I make sure that the thing that's making us money, which isn't being secure, it's getting oil out of the ground at the end of the day, right. but the thing that's making us money continues to make us money, and it's not interrupted. It's about business risk, and cyber is just one of the flavors of risk that can impact business. So if you can manage it, 
you can measure it, you can improve it, and you can communicate it, state to the executives. Well, now you've just made cyber strategic to the business. And that's the world we're in now. It is absolutely the world we're in now. I actually talked to a lot of executives and you know, 10 years ago, we talked about, you and I talked about this before we turned the microphones on. 10 years ago, the executives had no idea what cybersecurity is. Now they're very aware of it because it causes loss of revenue. It causes damage to the reputation. And like you and I were talking about, the bad guys now are no longer bored kids in Miami, Florida. These are state-sponsored attacks. These are some of the smartest people in the world looking to make a financial gain by hacking your system. Yeah, looking to make a financial gain or looking to send a message, right? Depending yeah. on what what their motivations are. You know, you look at insiders, hacktivists, nation states, cyber criminals. A lot of these people are actually they're cyber criminals by day and they work for a nation state at night. Sometimes those lines are quite opaque. But it's uh it's it's a maturation of the space, right? It's cybersecurity is less about the bits and bytes and it's still about the bits and bytes. But it's also about the business. And as things continue to mature, and it doesn't matter who the threat actors are, we need to find better ways to measure and know where our value is. And you were talking about executives. I absolutely agree with you. A few years ago, CEO of a major oil and gas company knew that cybersecurity was a thing, but didn't spend any cycles on it. Go to YouTube. Google CEO of any major oil and gas company. I guarantee you, you're probably going to find at least a couple videos of them talking about cybersecurity. Not because they want to. But because they have to, because it impacts so many things like shareholder faith, it impacts their ability to drive revenue. And how do I know this? It's in their 10K. Yeah. It's showing up in their corporate governance documents, right? They're, they're putting this in the, the documents that run their organization. Cyber is now being mentioned as a potential material risk. So that's a big deal. And it's a big change. So Brian, let's get kind of tactical here. Yeah. So if if I if I am worried about my company's security, what are the things I need to think about? Like what are the top two or three things that a lot of people don't think about that they should think about? The first thing that I tell people in security is there, there's always this idea that the next new buzzword, or the next shiny thing is going to save all my problems. The truth is you probably have, certainly if you're an oil and gas company out there, you probably have a lot of the security tools you need. But again, you're basing your security on assumptions because you have no way to validate that what you've invested in is actually doing what you want. And very well, it could be in some places and not at all in others. On average, what we've seen, and this is a horrible stat, I know, it's hard to hear, the baby's ugly, but about 25% of the time, your preventative controls are working as you expected. 75% of the time, they're not. From an incident detection perspective, saying, okay, forget about stopping it, at least let me know that it's happening. Only about half the time, malicious activity is even being detected. Wow. After spending, and it's not because they've got bad people or bad products. It's because cybersecurity is complex, complex interconnected systems. And you've got crossing IT and OT and legacy and all these other things. That's, that's hard. So number one, don't base your security on assumptions. We have to be able to measure security like we measure sales, finance, and operations. If you go to the CFO and you say, how much money do we have in the bank? I don't know, a million? 10 million, a billion, I'm not sure. You're probably not going to be a CFO for very long. Right. But in security, it's hard to get empiric evidence-based data, right? So first one, get away from assumptions. Make sure you're measuring your stuff and you know what's working and what's not. Second thing, and this is equally important, is make sure that whatever you're doing in cybersecurity is aligning with the business mission. It's no longer good enough to say, well, why do we need to invest in data loss prevention, or why do we need to invest in encryption or this new cloud technology? Well, everybody else is doing it. It's important to protect data. Data is valuable. Now, how does it help the business, 
right? How is that going to help me grow quicker? Is it going to help me get my message out to our customer base? Is it going to help me drive more revenue? If you can align how cyber enables the business, again, you become more strategic. No more assumptions, align with the business. That would be my advice. And those two things are skipped over yeah. so often. Yeah. And then the other thing I see a lot of is a lot of the business leaders in our industry just assume, you talk about assumptions, that IT is taking care of everything. IT does the best job they possibly can, but because the cybersecurity risk changes literally every minute, they're not always up to date on stuff. And y'all are able to come in and help and help augment and the internal IT group to make sure that you are as secure as possible. Yeah, yeah. You know, one of the one of the things that we see a lot, we call it environmental drift. Now, environmental drift is just a fancy way of saying, hey, that thing that was working, hey, it stopped working. And maybe the reason it stopped working was because Bob, the IT guy, plugged a cable in the wrong spot, or we updated a server and that bro- broke this, or now there's a new proxy server and nobody told us about it, so things are being blocked. There's a gazillion reasons why something that was working stopped, and it could be intentional, unintentional, it could be from your security group or from another group. So if you have the way to leverage automation, and automation is so important in these big global organizations as well as smaller organizations, if you have a way to automate the process to say, look, I'm going to run a thousand tests a day and I'm going to make sure that this thing should be blocking this thing should be detecting, this thing should be alerting and everything's green. If one of those green things turns red, that allows me to manage by exception. So I can say, I want you to automate a thousand tests a day. And if something that was on has turned off, let me know because I've got a small team doing a million other things. Now I can manage by exception and say, whoa, We've got an IPS over here on this part of our network that used to be detecting attack ABC, and it's not. Or we used to have logs going to our SIM, and for some reason it stopped. Why? And it helps me prioritize. So when everything's a high priority, as you know, nothing's a high priority. So this helps you focus, and that's what it's all about. Automation is really key now to being successful in cyber. So let's talk a little bit about your uh, security instrumentation platform, SIP, because yeah. I love that acronym. Yeah. You know, what's, what's cool about this is, so I've been in security a long time. I've been working in cyber for about 20 years. I've been part of some really great companies in the past, you know, RipTech, ArcSight, Solera Networks, McAfee, and Perva. This is, this is what I do. I build, build security companies. And when this whole notion of let's, let's build a platform that actually helps people get value out of their security tools and prove it and report it and communicate it to business level people, as opposed to, we're going to take a firewall and we're going to make it better. Or we're going to take an IPS and make it better. Well, that's new. That might be pretty cool, but SIP is actually different. And you don't see a lot of different in cyber. So this isn't the next, next firewall, next, next vulnerability scanner, anything like that. And what I like to tell people is it's not essentially a security tool. It's a business platform for security. And it's all about that word again, that maturation, that making security more strategic and aligning business and security together. So essentially, Verit and SIP helps you manage, measure, and improve your state of security effectiveness. It allows you to run tests within your production environment safely. And safety is absolutely key because availability is so important. And it gives you empiric evidence. So you know definitively what's working, If it's not working, SIP tells you what you should do to fix it. Once you fix it, you can retest to make sure that fix worked. And then my favorite part, you can automate it to make sure that thing you fix stays fixed in perpetuity. If it stops, someone's going to let you know. And then finally on the back end, you've got all this rich reporting that's great for security folks, but also folks that care about compliance, people that care about risk. The audit committee 
on your publicly traded company's board, right? And that's an area that security was really never able to get in quite easily. And now it's available because now you're measuring security like you're measuring sales, finance, and operations. That's really cool. You're talking about shareholder value affecting stuff for a public company. I mean, literally the companies that can maintain their security and, and show the metrics around it are going to have a higher shareholder value. That's really awesome. So, so let's flip this around. If a company didn't, if a company doesn't know where they stand from a security risk, because I've talked to a lot of tech people out there. We talked uh, before we turn the microphones, talk about, you know, some of the major oil and gas companies get hit, you know, hundreds of thousands of times a day. If a company doesn't know where they stand, they're really in a bad place. They Even if their security is subpar, they at least need to know where they stand. And you're able to come in and actually say, here's where you are. Yeah. See, a lot, of, a lot of folks, including myself in cyber that have been here for a while, we used to do pen testing and security assessments, and those things aren't going away. They're still valuable in their services people provide. Problem is, nobody spent the time to focus on actually measuring the effectiveness of the security controls. So I'm seeing this fundamental shift now, red teaming and pen testing and security assessments now. The people that are running these tests are being measured on their ability to help improve the blue team or help improve the defenses. It's no longer, here's a 500-page report of all the ways we hacked your network and got in. Look at that. We're real proud of ourselves. Well, that's great. But how does that transfer to making my defensive controls better? And then from there, how does that transfer to actually making my business better? Nobody starts a company and says, hey, guys, we're going to go up to a bunch of VCs and our business model is we're going to be the most secure XYZ. You're not going to get any funding. That's not your business model. But you need to be secure in order to keep operations running and maintain that value. And that's precisely why we're seeing the corporate governance documents. We're seeing this in the 10Ks. And we're seeing CEOs talking about cybersecurity today. It's changed. It's inside our psyches now. We understand that it impacts brand, financial, and operational risk. So this transition has been coming for a while, this transformation rather. And now I think it's mainstream. And we're seeing, for example, at Veriden, you know, we focus mostly on Fortune 500s and Global 2000s. And you know, I've, I worked all over the world. I've been in over 50 countries. And a lot of those countries, I'm working with governments and critical infrastructure banks and things like that. This is a global phenomenon. This is something that we've accepted that the thing that used to keep us secure has stopped working and we have to rethink the problem. Yeah. And don't think just because you're small, you're not at risk. We actually at OGG and we got hacked last year by a bunch of Russian bots and literally we use a tool called MailChimp and their cybersecurity people reached out to us and go, look, you're being hacked right now. Can we set up a honeypot? Because we want to see what these guys are doing. So even if you're small, you're still vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the interesting thing is I was talking to a what, what you'd call a mid-sized bank, one of our customers. And the guy told me, you know, Brian, this is their CISO. He said, Brian, this, this is the problem. If I'm a major bank, you know, one of the big, big brand name banks, I've got a big team, I've got a big budget, I've got a lot of tools, and I don't always have to get it right because I've got a lot, of, a lot of slush there, right? So maybe I'm only, you know, I got, a bat, I got a bat about 600 to make sure things are good. Well, I'm a mid-sized bank and I have far fewer people and I have far fewer resources, but guess what? I have the exact same threats. I've got the exact same people trying to attack me. So I got to be batting closer to about 900, 950, right? To get things right. It means it's a lot harder. So how do you address that then? Again, back to where we're talking about automation. We've done a great disservice in the community. There's, there's so much complexity in cybersecurity beyond where it needs to be. And people have all these tools and I did a POC and it was running good. And it's a year later. And I think it's still doing, I really have no idea if what I've got is doing what I want. We're trying to bring sanity. 
We're trying to bring a way to validate and actually have proof that what you've got is actually doing what you want. And it's such a simple thing. We're not trying to make your kids better at basketball. We're not trying to make your car faster. All we're trying to do is help you get value from what you've got and prove it. Can you make a car faster? I can't nope. make your car. We'll, we'll go in the parking lot after this. I got some tricks. <laughs> yeah, my car's already been uh, been hacked by myself, actually. <laughs> actually, I paid someone else to do it. So, but all this is around business. It's one of the things I love about what you do, because you're not you're not trying. I mean, you you absolutely are improving the or decreasing the risk for companies. You're actually showing them what they have, what they don't have, where the risk are. But what I love about what you're doing is you actually do this in a way where you're talking about revenue, shareholder value production in oil and gas, right? Public opinion. That's another big one too. Sure. Uh, unfortunately, there's some bad players out there that kind of want some things to happen in our industry so that it can show a negative outcome. And those people sometimes spend time and money to get the bad guys to hack systems, trying to honestly, trying to create an environmental incident, right? And so when you think about stuff like that and you think about the human side of it, where do you see that going? So what I see is that it's only going to continue to grow, right? That as people, it's like the Nigerian princess thing, right? You get that email. The only reason you get that email is, is somebody out there actually fell for it and they made a financial return. The bad guys made a financial return. I see that just growing. I think the risk is going to continue to grow. It's going to continue to get more sophisticated and the companies have to stay ahead of that as best they can. Yeah. You know, especially in oil and gas. So for example, you know, years and years ago, and we can go back however many decades you want, there used to be a lot of air gaps and things were run on proprietary protocols, Modbus and DNP3 and Ethernet over serial and maybe some dial-up modems for vendors and things like that. Thing is, those things are still there today. But on top of all those things still being there, we are connected with TCP IP. We've got apps on our phone that help us control SCADA control management systems and things of that nature, HMI interfaces. And we're hyper-connected, right? So we're, we've got everything old everything new and everything hybrid in between. So there's a lot of avenues of risk in there. The other thing that I'm seeing now is we're not getting fewer nation states taking an interest in cyber. There's not fewer hackers. There's not fewer cyber criminals. What's happening is it's more accessible, right? It's become a business. It's industrialized. You can rent hacks. You can rent botnets. You can pay somebody to do a DDoS for you on uh, the dark net. There's a lot of ways that people that aren't even technologically sophisticated can do very technologically sophisticated things to you if they have enough money. And that's what's changed because now it's become an industry, a very specialized industry. There might be somebody that's great at making skimmers for ATM machines, somebody that's great at making fake passports, somebody that's great at converting Bitcoin to this and transferring it through eight, eight different countries. So you just don't know where, really where it came from. And then there's somebody that's great at writing malware and doing hacks. Well, these groups can come together now and they've industrialized, they've specialized, they've built trust relationships. So that's where it's going. To your point earlier, it's not the kid drinking joke cola in his mom's <laughs> basement, you know, from all the Hollywood movies. I don't know why, but the monitor is always taken apart and they're always playing Counter-Strike. But there you go. Are those people still out there? Of course. But it's also the guy that's got a PhD in computer science somewhere in Eastern Europe and he can't get a job anyplace else but Burger King because of the economy. And they're saying, look, you've got safe harbor here. As long as you don't hack in our country, we're going to let you do whatever the heck you want. And when I think about that, really what comes to mind are the pirates in the Caribbeans in, in the 1600s. <laughs> Basically, they said, hey, pirates, you can come here and do all your pirate stuff. I don't know what pirates do to hang out. They bury treasure, make peg legs, teach you know, parrots had to sit on their shoulder. But they said, look, but there's a trade-off. You do all your pirate stuff, and we don't care. But every once in a while, the Spanish are going to come by with their ships. If you could go out there and kill them and take care of them for us, that would be awesome. 
We're seeing that in cyber. People are given safe harbor in countries like Russia. Don't hack inside our country. Other countries, you're fine. However, every once in a while, we're going to call upon you to do something that's not for financial advantage, but for some of our political needs, we're going to need you to hook us up. But then you can go back to doing all your cyber stuff. And that I use Russia as an example, but that's happening all over the world. We see it in the Middle East. We see it in parts of Asia as well. Yeah, yeah literally, it's all over the world. You all can't get away world. from it. So what I think is cool about this, so if I'm a, if I'm a senior executive in an oil and gas company and I'm doing my planning for this is the very beginning of 2019. This is one of the things that needs to come into my planning so I can make the right decisions for my business. This is no lesser or bigger threat than things like a hurricane or things like, you know, different laws that get changed. And I have to permit something differently. This is no different that maybe I can't get the right, you know, like what's going on in Midland right now in the permit. They literally can't hire enough skilled labor. This is something that companies need to think about when they're making critical business decisions. Yeah, because it has material risk, just like a terrorist attack, just like bad weather, just like economic conditions changing. This has material impact. And because of that material impact, it has to be treated that way. So look, here, here's a great example that, of course, I'll anonymize. We're working with this company that was running a certain security product. They invested a lot. It was over 14 and a half million dollars. They had to deploy it in a way, I'll get a little technical, they deployed it in a way to look at packets in a unidirectional mode instead of a bidirectional mode. So essentially what that means is it didn't see both forms of the communication. When this particular security product does that, it just drops everything. It says, I'm not going to look at it. $14.5 million on product deployed globally throughout their organization incorrectly because of a simple little $5 tap issue, the way they configured on the network. Little $5 change, takes them 10 seconds to fix that. They had no idea. They were running like that for almost a year. Wow. And by just simply validating, is this thing doing what I think it's supposed to be doing? And if it's not, can you tell me how to fix it? And when I fix it, can you make sure it stays fixed? It's such a simple idea. And again, it's not saying the products are bad or your people are bad or your processes are bad. They just simply never had a platform before to evaluate this stuff. And it's almost it doesn't pass the dud test. Why didn't we have this stuff 20 years ago? I don't know. I don't know why we didn't. We should have, because I'll tell you what, the baby is always ugly. I don't care if you're the biggest company in the world or the smallest. You've got stuff you have invested in that you're not getting ROI from. Because you're not getting value from that, you're not preventing cyber risk. And because of that, you're not helping to prevent brand, operational, and financial risk. And that's what it comes down to. We're trying to help the business do the business. And cyber needs to carry its weight. And you need to be able to prove it. Give me evidence. Don't tell me we're following best practices. Don't tell me we had company ABC do a pen test. Tell me if my security infrastructure is providing security for my infrastructure. That's what I want. Brian, it's so cool. You have so much passion around this. I mean, it comes across. This is awesome. An audience, literally, I don't care who you work for, reach out to Brian's company. Brian, if people want to learn, and we're getting close to winding this down, we're going to end up having you back on the show because we've just scratched the surface of this. Yeah. But if people wanted to learn more about what your company does, where should they go? Yeah, please go to our website, so veridin.com, V-E-R-O-D-I-N.com. We've got videos. We've got blogs. We've got... A- not awesome podcasts like this, but we've got podcasts and, and all sorts of content for you so you can quickly understand. And we've got what I think is my favorite, customer testimonials. You know, you can listen to what I say. I'm a, I'm a vendor, so I've got a scarlet V on my, on my shirt. So you can only believe, you know, half of what I say maybe. But listen to the customers. Listen to them tell you what their points of pain were and how products that help them address this issue, security instrumentation platforms, have completely changed how they're doing business for the better and has made security strategic and has given them that voice that they need at the highest levels in the organization. It's as 
This is the change we've been wanting, guys. We've always said, let's get security, that voice. Well, now we've had it. Now we're like, gulp. We better make sure that we got the proof that everybody else that's talking to the board has. We better have that evidence. And that's what we're about. So go to Veridin.com. Check out what we've got. We'd love to give you a demo of the product and show you our security instrumentation platform. Really different. Really cool. Yeah. And folks, we'll put a link in the show notes. So you're going to be trying to write this while you're driving, listening to this podcast. <laughs> Brian, if people want to learn more about you personally, I'm guessing LinkedIn? Yeah, check out LinkedIn. Yeah, I've been in the industry for a long time. So there's a lot of people that know me. Some of them still like me. You can call my <laughs> mom. She'll, she'll say good things. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Check out LinkedIn. You know, I've written a couple books. You can probably still find those somewhere on Amazon.com, if you will. But, you know, this is a great industry. It's a small industry. A lot of us know each other. But check me out on LinkedIn. I'm also speaking at a lot of the conferences. I'm always at Black Hat and RSA and the B-sides all over. And a lot of the oil and gas uh, friends here down in Texas, I'm here frequently as well. Yeah, we'll put links to Brian's uh, LinkedIn and also to the books. I didn't realize you were an author. That's that's quite an accomplishment as well because you what people don't realize about writing a book is the, writing the book is hard, but actually get to the point that you actually publish it is 10 times harder than you thought it was. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. I, I told my wife after the second one, I said, remind me how much I hated the editing process before I say, let's write a third. Because writing it wasn't bad, but going through the editing process, you know, that's uh, – that's torture. That's a special kind of torture. <laughs> yeah. So if you want to make sure your company's secure and you want to talk to Brian about writing book torture, <laughs> reach out. Brian, we're going to wind this thing down. We're going to get out of here. We're going to get you back on the show. But thank you so much for coming on. And thank you for spending time. You actually don't – you aren't here in Houston. You made time – you took time out of your day to come on the podcast. And we just appreciate you coming on. This has been awesome. Yeah, this has been really fun. And I'm so honored to have a chance to talk to your listeners. And, you know, this is a podcast series that, of course, you said, you know, I'm passionate about this. You know, I've been uh, – been in this industry a long time. So somebody like you coming around doing this, this is uh, very timely. So thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, no, no, no. This has been awesome. Like I said, we'll get you back on the show. All right, folks, we're going to get out of here. Have a good rest of your day. Pay it forward and we will see you next time. Man, what great conversations that was. We're at the product review section. So we're looking for tech products. Does not have to have anything to do with oil and gas for us to reveal on your show. So if you know of something that's really cool or if you have something that's really cool, go to the show notes and reach out to us and let us know what it is and we'll review your product on the show. Disclaimer, a lot of times companies give us things. So we try not to bias our reviews. So if you give us something and we think it's really cool, we'll let you know. And if it needs some improvement, we'll let our audience know that as well. Uh, it's time for the giveaway except Flutour and I are working on some top secret stuff, so we can't reveal what the giveaway is yet. I promise you by episode six or seven, we'll be giving away something really cool every week, so listen for that. And then go check out the website. If you like the show, go check out oilandgastechpodcast.com. That's oilandgastechpodcast.com. While you're there, give us your email. We promise never to spam you, and this way you get alerted when we do something really cool or new. And while you're out there looking for places to join, go check out our LinkedIn group. It's OGGN.com on LinkedIn. Our LinkedIn group's strong. It's the companion to this show and all of our other oil and gas podcasts. So we are making sure that you don't get left behind one podcast at a time. And here are events on deck with Julie. Hey everyone, it's Julie here with the events on deck for May 2019. We have our Midland Happy Hour on May 21st at Midland Beer Garden, and it will be from six to nine. And then we have our Houston Happy Hour and it's going to be at the Canon from 6 to 9 on May 28th. This month we have the Oil and Gas Smart Contracts Conference on May 15th and 16th. And we will actually be launching another one of our new podcasts live from that event. So check it out. The link is in the show notes. We have the Merge Market Energy Forum on May 21st. At, it's in Houston. 
Just check that out in the show notes. And then we have a charity event, Golf for Good. That's a golf charity event for Redeemed Ministries. That's going to be on June 11th, 2019. And they are still looking for sponsors. So check that out in our show notes. And if you want to sponsor or register, just click the link in the show notes. And that is it for the month of May. Some events on deck in the the coming months. We have Shoot for the Future, a clay shoot on Friday, July 26th. And then NAPES and the, the NAPES Summer is coming up in August. And that is it for our upcoming events. Check us out next week for another entertaining and yet useful episode of Oil & Gas Tech Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.